Well, good morning. Welcome everybody to the Home Builders class. Hope you're doing well. Um, let's read our verse together today. It's 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. We're talking about the subject of home improvement, dealing with our own families. And I'm talking through the subject this week and last um, on responsibility. And I thought, uh, let's look at the role model of Jesus Christ as the role model of responsibility in our lives. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And man, Jesus is our role model. The disciples of Christ, we as disciples, how many of you here are disciples of Christ? Hey, all of us should be. We know Christ our Savior. Disciples of Christ must live their lives like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6. Someone read that for me. You see, I, I think there's really important thing. There's, uh, there's a principle uh, in Scripture of living and dying like Jesus. Okay, dying like Jesus one day when, it, 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 you know, we think, okay, physical death will be resurrected with Christ. Amen. But there's a difference. You, what Jesus tried to teach in the Scriptures, and he illustrated it with a, 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 a corn or wheat. Okay. It must fall and die before it can really give life. And so his admonition to all of us in this room is, if you really want to live like me, you've got to die like me. Not on a cross, but to self. So when we die to ourselves, that's when real life can begin. But then we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to actually live the Christian life. To actually live out our faith. And, it's, and let me just say, I don't know about you, but I find it hard to live the Christian life sometimes. Does anybody else have a struggle with that at times? Always saying the right things, always doing the right things, always you know, thinking in advance and trying to plan in advance and prepare. But that's the Christian life, is learning how to die to myself and then living for him. And both of those aspects are important. So how did Jesus live his life? That's not rhetorical. That's a question that I want a response to. He was intentional in everything he did. He was in everything he did. Excellent. Yeah. He listened to his father's voice always. Yeah. He listened to the voice of his father always. Somebody else. He loved others. He loved others. Excellent. Yeah. He saw out people who had needs. Yeah, he sought out people, made himself available for people who had needs. Sometimes, you know, when we look through life, we kind of like are conditional in the way we treat others. You know, well, what you do for me, I'll do for you. But Jesus took it to a completely different level. And he says, if you're only doing what someone else can do for you, what good is that? You know, 
think about those who can't do anything for you and you do it for them. Excellent points. How else did Jesus live his life? Yeah. He was in God's word because he knew the Torah. He went to the temple and things like that. He was a Yeah, he knew God's word. He not only was God, but he knew God's word. And I think it's important. We're going to get into this in a moment. But he grew in that area. Yeah, somebody else. He had a servant's heart. He had a servant's heart. And that's why he was trying to teach his disciples, and that's what he's trying to teach us, to have a servant leadership attitude. He was a leader. He acted in ways like nobody else was, but that's because he served and communicated God's word in a way that didn't make sense to a lot of other people. They hadn't heard it that way, at least. How are we to walk like Jesus today? How are we to walk like Jesus? Okay. We dig into the Word of God. We dig into the Word of God. Excellent. What else? Follow his examples. We follow his examples. <laughs> and the only way we can know what his example is is to get back into his Word. Yes? Prayer. Prayer. Uh, to, be, to be able to listen to the voice of God in our life. Like, he listens to the Father. And often... And let me make this comment since Sandy brought about this up in the issue of prayer. You can't meaningfully pray with distraction. In other words, I think our wives understand this better than we do at times. Okay? Let's say your wife, guys, men, males, comes over to you while you're doing something or watching something, okay? And starts talking. Do you hear her? Yes. Do you have a clue to what she's actually saying? <laughs> no. You have to end the distraction to actually look and focus at her, to actually not only hear her, but understand what she's saying. And we think, though, that, you know, ladies and guys, that we can multitask with God. The research is out there. Multitasking, regardless of what you think your ability or abilities are or not, does not occur. You either are good at one thing at one time. If you try to multitask, both will suffer. Some of you don't try to do two things at once, but three things at once. And you think that's, you're really getting it. You can't. It's actual focused time. And that is almost, especially for moms in the room and some dads, that almost sounds impossible. How do I actually find time alone to actually hear the voice of God? And the challenge for every one of us in this room is finding that time. But I also invite you to think through certain things. That we have to be careful that we create noise in our life. You get in your car. Do you turn the radio on or do you listen? When you go to bed at night, is the TV on or the radio on? 
or is it quiet so that you can listen? And it's not just hit the bed. <laughs> what is it in the practice of your own devotional life? Do you build in quiet? That's important. Jesus had to do that. He had to get up early. He would go off by himself. And at times, it was almost, it was what it was. You can almost call it annoying. But the reality was, he was there for them. He would go off alone and people would find where he was at. And if you've ever experienced that in your life, you'll understand that, you know, that's the reality of life. But you have to figure out a way to build in quiet. Disciples of Christ must be dependent upon the Father and the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not self-absorbed. In other words, he didn't. He was God. He was equal with God. He didn't consider immoral to be equal with God. In fact, that's what took him to the cross because he didn't like the idea that he was claiming to be God. And yet, he humbled himself. Someone read for me John 8, 27 and 28. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know, I am He, that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. In other words, what He's communicating is saying, you know what? The Father is communicating through me. If you want to see the Father, if you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm communicating not of my own, but I'm communicating what the Father has communicated me to tell. I'm doing the will of my heavenly Father. And, and, and in reality, Jesus is God, was God. And in that perspective, Jesus is trying to communicate, you know what? I understand who I am. But it's not about me. <laughs> and it's interestingly enough that the Holy Spirit's job is it to identify the Holy Spirit. But what is the Holy Spirit's role? It is to lift up who? Jesus. Jesus. You know, it's interesting that the Trinity loves each other and edifies and, and points them back to someone else. In other words, they, and that's what we do as disciples of Christ. We have to learn to be dependent upon the Father. And dependent upon the Holy Spirit in our life. He successfully resisted temptation and was led and walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 4, obviously in the beginning here of this chapter, is about the temptation of Christ. And I'm not going to go read those verse, the, the verses in between, the uh, 13 verses in between. But Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan that was after what? Why, his what? Baptism. His baptism. He was baptized. The Father from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. He's baptized. People seen it. They saw it. They heard it. But Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, then left the Jordan and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. That's not where I would want to be led. Now, I want you to think through this. 
Jesus is now making his ministry public. He is, he is equal to the Father. He knows his ministry. He knows his mission. And God, the Holy Spirit, leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Do you want to be like Jesus? You see, God recognizes that if we're truly going to live as a disciple and a successful follower of Jesus, you will at times in your life and ministry go through a wilderness experience. It will be in different times, in different ways, in different experiences, but it will nevertheless be real. It will be a wilderness experience in which Satan himself may be the one tempting you. It will be a real difficult time. And the question that often, if you read the scriptures, God often, the Father, would often allow people to go through and intentionally plan for people to go through challenging experiences whether in his plan or to allow it to occur to find out whether or not they're really a follower or not. In other words, it was a, it was a temptation or testing, a trial. God does not tempt us with sin, for clarity. And he tests us through those experiences. The question is, is that are we really relying on him or not? Think about this in relationship to your own Christian life. It's easy, in reality, to be a follower of Jesus, to love God, love people, to thank God for your salvation, as long as everything in life is going good. But what happens when life takes a turn and challenges come your way? Do we trust Christ? Do we trust God? Are we reliant on the Holy Spirit when the challenges of life come? Are we still waving the banner of discipleship when we're going through the trials of life? And it's not what we expected. Now, again, God will never put more on you than he's put in you to endure it. His grace is always sufficient. And God's never intended, he's never intends trials to break you, but to build you. But I will say this, as I have watched my brothers and sisters in Christ over the decades. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God knows the heart. And the real question of the day is, where are we in our walk with Jesus? Is it authentic? Is it real? Now... Every one of us, unless Jesus returns, we're going to die. Every one of us in this room, there's going to come a day when I'm going to take my last breath. God forbid that it be today. I hope I live into my 90s. But I may not. Will I care anything 
at that moment, whether I've faked it throughout my life. Absolutely. The thing I will care about the mo most at that point, the moment I die and I meet my God, is how I live my life. So the question then makes itself, how am I actually living my life? Am I preparing myself to meet God one day? Or, hey, chill out, wider. We got a long way to go before that day comes. We'll make it right before then. It's all good. How do you take this thing a little too seriously? Just enjoy life, relax. Heaven's a wonderful place, filled with glory and grace. So, relax. I think Jesus in his model of discipleship always made it really hard at times. He didn't make it easy. And so I think if we're going to live like Jesus and walk in the Spirit, we're going to have to figure this thing out. This is Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He goes through this temptation experience and all of a sudden now God's going to use him because he was able to take what Satan threw at him and what did Jesus use to defend and to live successfully in the moment of temptation? Scripture is the word of God. So how do we live our life when we're being tested and tempted? How do we follow our Heavenly Father's will and walk in the Spirit? How do you actually do that? Yeah. One thing we have to do is pour out our complaint to God like the psalmist did. Tell yeah. him all about it. Cover everything. <laughs> so you know he's heard you. And then commit yourself to him, whatever he wants us to do. I like Paul, the apostle's question to the Lord, what would you have me do? As a follow-up to after I pour out all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> now what do you want me to do? Is a good question to wrap it up with. What you're asking, what you're saying is, have good communication with God. Yeah. Honest communication with God. Isn't that what we really want? I mean, is, don't you want that in your relationship? Honest communication? And if we really loved each other, and we had that honest communication, it's not one of condemnation. And in God, there's no condemnation, but there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can have honest communication with God. He hears us. And when the Father hears us, I'm always amazed in the Old Testament when these wicked kings over and over again blew it, but then they repented. God would so often go back to the prophet and go, because you repented. Here's the plan. God knows our hearts. And he recognizes that. And his greatest desire is just for us to be honest and open and truthful with him and love him. What else? How do we follow our Heavenly Father's will and walk in the Spirit? By being obedient. Yes. If you love me, keep my commands. Obey my commands. Yeah, Mark. I often ask that question, how do I know God's will after I got saved to an older gentleman? 
And every time I asked that question, he took me to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Every time. Now, what's his answer? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's still the answer. Yep. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path and make him straight. So that's still the answer today. Yeah. No difference. Absolutely. And I would also, yeah, Paul. It, it, it also is being intentional. Um, you know, when you're praying, part of the communication, you're just saying, don't know what you've got for me today, God, but use me in some way. Make sure that what I say is what you want me to say. Amen. Be intentional about it. And as a reminder to you, I know I say this often, but it's a good reminder for all of us. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Okay? If you want to walk in the Spirit, recognize the fact that you're a sinner. Even as a follower of Christ, we will at times sin. Now, we, would, we want to live our lives in such a way that that does become a habit. Okay? And we want to lessen that throughout our adult life. But here's the question then. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess it, he's faithful just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So in other words, you're recognizing, I'm a sinner. Sin's a big deal. It's what put Jesus on the cross. And he suffered and died because of my sin, Lou's sin, and yours. But then we confess it. Confess means to agree with God. So in other words, you're actually, it's like sin isn't just some whimsical thing that we, everybody human does. And it's really not that big of a deal. No, we recognize that sin is a big deal. And when you're, you cannot walk in the spirit when you have unconfessed sin in your life. Period. That makes sense? So what we do is we actually care about sin. So that when we think, when we act, even our motives, when they're impure and the Holy Spirit brings us to the mind, that was wrong. That was sin. We confess it. We agree with God that it was wrong. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we're walking back in the spirit again. But if we live our life going, that's what people do. We sin. Chill. Okay? I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to get up. And I'm going to live my life, and I'm going to sin at times. Not, I'm not like a murderer. It's not that big of a deal. And then I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to do the same thing the next day. And maybe when I go to church, or somebody brings something to mind, I'll go, oh yeah, i got to confess that. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is a moment by moment walking in the Spirit, in the power of the Word of God, to live your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And that's what we do. He knew his mission. How did Jesus live a responsible life? He knew his mission. Luke 2, 41 to 51 says, Every year, Jesus' parents, you know the story, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went to the festival according to the custom. custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. They thought he was a part of the caravan. Thinking he was in the company, they traveled on for a day. They weren't worried about Jesus. 
Jesus' parents remind me of my parents. My parents never worried about me. But they, times are different. When I was little, I mean little, I had a golf course behind me. And they, I would say on a Saturday or you know, sometimes, Sunday, whatever, hey, I'm going to go out and play. Okay, just be home for dinner. They had no clue where I was. They had no clue what I was doing. And I was grateful sometimes for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not, to my, not to my earthly father. He said, did you confess it? I said, not to my earthly father, but to my heavenly father. <laughs> and here, they're, they're not worried about Jesus. And all of a sudden, a day later, they're kind of going, hey, where's Jesus? Well, I'm sure he's with somebody. They start going around to all the company. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Now, some of you moms in here are freaked out, or dads, when you've taken your kids to the mall or someplace, and all of a sudden you're shopping or whatever, and all of a sudden you look at me and you go, where's my child? They're not around. How many of you have ever experienced that before in your life? It's, oh, it's, 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 a, it's, whoa. it's so fearful. And then you, when the, lovingly correct them, when you find that they're hiding in one of, you know, they're hiding someplace from you, they think it's funny. That experience, I've told the story before, but at Cedar Point, when I was probably five, my dad took me over to one of the kiddie rides. Kitty ride ends, I get off it, my dad's not around. So for four hours, I went looking for my parents. Four hours. A policeman walked up to me and goes, are you lost? And I go, oh no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just going to my dad. Liar. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell somebody I'm lost, I'm not going to go to some room someplace. Finally, I see, see my dad, I can still picture my dad and his sister in the family just sitting on a park bench, you know, one of the benches there going, hey, where you been? <laughs> Why'd you leave me? I've been looking for you for four hours. It was like between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock. They go, did you have any money? I go, no. Have you eaten? No. Would you like something? Yes. <laughs> it was like that, but they didn't care. It was like, okay, cool. I, let's get you something to eat and go out and have fun. But they just lost Luke. They lost Jesus. <laughs> We're responsible for God and he's gone. <laughs> then they began looking for him among the relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem and looked for him. After three days, after three days. <laughs> and I love this story. They found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone heard him, who heard him, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, I mean, Mary's like, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching, a 12-year-old boy, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Wow. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Interesting. He wanted to learn and to teach the truth about God and his word. He, he knew his mission. Why am I here? And he was listening and he was learning. He was asking questions. <coughs> Where did his parents find Jesus? We just read it. He's at the temple. What was he doing? Listening and asking questions. And people were amazed at his understanding. Okay? Now, I, I, I added this because I think this is an important thing to remember. Why is asking questions such a powerful apologetic method? If you're defending the faith, you're talking about your belief in Jesus, why is asking questions so important? Yeah? It helps you learn where the other person is. What, what are their thoughts so you know where to start? Excellent. You, you make no assumptions. What else? Yeah? If you tell them something, they may or may not hear it. But if they have to think about it to give you the answer, then it's something that Excellent. In other words, if, you, if they were just listening to him, give the answer, well, they may go, you know, he's just being arrogant, whatever. You know, but if you ask him a question, they have to personally think through it. And they can respond, Mike. That's what I was going to say, is that sometimes people believe they don't even know why they believe it. So when you ask them questions about what they believe, it forces them to think through what they believe. And if they believe something that's an error, they're likely to, they're at least somewhat likely to, to maybe see that and recognize that, oh, I was thinking something, I, I, I'm thinking something that doesn't make sense based on something else I believe. Excellent. That's exactly right. And they, they, because of that, they have to think through themselves. It's like, ask yourself questions at times. What do I believe about Blake Joseph? I was going to throw in Stephen Covey said, he said, seek first to understand before being understood. Yeah, Stephen Covey said that. Seek first to understand before we are understood. We need to know our mission and purpose. Why am I here? Why are you here? What is your mission? Let me tell you something. When you get to heaven one day, you will not care about a lot of the things we actually care about now. Okay? There's a lot of mind time that we spend caring and worrying about stuff that we won't care or worry about in heaven. The question is, what's your purpose? What's your mission? Why are you here? You have, you've been created for a purpose. Every one of us in this room have been created for a purpose. You don't have to know what that is right now. But you can. The Bible makes it clear. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. 
Ask God for your mission. Ask God by you. Be sensitive to that. Actually think and care about that. To think, why am I actually here? Why would you create me the way you created me? And then help me to find my place in everything. To actually do what you want me to do. And it may not be in the most public way. It may be in a very obscure way. That no one may even know about. But God, who sees in secret, will reward you openly. See, we have things backwards at times. We think the public ministry is the most important. Whereas, I guarantee you, there are some prayer warriors in heaven that God is well pleased with. Never underestimate the power of prayer and the ministry of prayer. But also don't underestimate the power of, of what God intends to do, use you to do in a tangible way, like Will was sharing. Cooking hot dogs for kids. Being there. The ministry of presence. Not presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. -E okay, but P-R-E-S-C-E-N-C. -E -E, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's incorrect. Yeah. S E N C. Right? Yeah. He gave wisdom and favor with God and man. This was our theme verse for this lesson. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. If Jesus was God, how did he grow in wisdom? Absolutely. He submitted himself to be born as a, as a child like all of us. Okay? Jesus didn't come from the room, womb and, and do something like the scarecrow. The size of, you know, whatever it is he says. Awesome. What is it? Ostley Strangle is whatever. <laughs> I haven't seen The Wizard of Oz in a while. I thought I had it, but it wasn't there. Okay? If you only had a brain. <laughs> you only had a brain. <laughs> so he had to grow too. He had to, he had to read and study and learn. And what? And he still prayed to his father and be obedient to his parents. Because if you notice that story, he immediately is like, don't you know I have to be alone with my father? I have to be my father's house. And he's like, all right. No time not yet. I'm going home. I'm going with them. And he leaves the temple and is obedient. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Why didn't he begin his ministry at 12? He wasn't ready. God was preparing him. His ministry, he didn't start his ministry till he was 30. I would have been frustrated if I was Jesus. 
I mean, I bite at the bit to get out of here and do something, you know? God's plan is perfect. If Jesus had to wait, what do you think we have to do at times? How do we lead our children and grandchildren to grow in the Lord? Hmm? Excellent. That's what I was looking for. I think the greatest gift we can provide our children and grandchildren, though we've already established the fact that there's no one perfect in this room, no, not one, including me. But they also, if when you sin, they've got to see how you deal with sin in your own life. You're, you've got to be their role model. You've got to be an example. You want them to be able to go, they want, you want them to be able to stand up one day at your funeral and say, let me tell you about mom. Let me tell you about dad. Let me tell you about my wife. Let me tell you about my husband. They love the Lord. You saw him in public. I saw him in private. They love the Lord. How did Jesus grow in favor with God and man? By being obedient to the Father. By being obedient to his parents. And I'm sure there are times he didn't want to. Because Mary and Joseph were sinners. And at some point in Jesus' life, Joseph dies. He's lost his father. He doesn't have a father anymore. But he has his heavenly father. That's what he has. And he's got to do things. He's got to learn. He's experiencing life in humanity, as Mike was saying. And that's challenging. How do we follow his example in these areas? As we look at the life of Jesus and we see how he gained favor with God, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This, this man, Jesus, is different. How are we different from the world? How do we step out of, you know what, I don't have to look, I don't have to act like the world, like Pastor Jonathan was sharing this morning. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How are we separating ourselves to go, that woman is different. That man is different. He was a disciple maker. Jesus called people to be fishers of men. Why did Jesus use this analogy? What did he mean? Why did he talk about fishers of men? So, and who was he talking to? Disciples who were fishermen. Their whole focus of their life, everything about them, their livelihood, everything about their success, everything was in fishing. And, I, and I, I know there's controversy about this, but I'm, I'm fully convinced in my mind that Jesus may tell you, me one day when I get to heaven, Lou, you were wrong. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with God. But I love it when Jesus is having his, his meal on the shore with Peter and the other, the other disciples who went back fishing after Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And he was cooking <laughs> some fish. 
And Jesus asked him the question, do you love me more than these? And I'm not sure he was talking, I don't think he was talking about his disciples at this point. Do you love me more than these guys? No, because when it was all said and done, Peter goes, I'm going back fishing. And they go, yeah, we'll join you. The question is, do you love me more than these fish? And often the question is, do we love God more than our careers? Our livelihood. Our 401ks. Our 403bs. Our stuff. Do we love God more than these? It's so easy to get caught up in thinking about stuff in this world. I do it. It's so easy to do it. And the question is, if we really want to be a disciple of Christ, are we going to be fishers of men? Are we going to focus our life on, on making disciples? Matthew 4.19 says, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. It's 11.58. It's so like It's all good? Especially for those of you who are going, would you finish so I can get to lunch? <laughs> Do you love him more than Alpac? No. <laughs> Not right now. Shut up. Look it up. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Father, thank you for humor. Um, I hope you understand and appreciate it. And if not, I'm sorry. But um, thank you for teaching us about who you are through your son. And may we follow you and truly be fishers of men. May we be your disciple and love you like Jesus. And may we walk in your spirit each and every day in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week.